Welcome everyone. This is the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter, first of its kind edition of the audio recording for those who don't want to read it but want to hear it still. This is SPA Newsletter number 11, volume 21. In this issue, we will cover COVID-19 and the latest quick hits and some opinion pieces and whatever else we can find that's of value to you, the listener slash reader. Now for the disclaimer. The information provided in this newsletter is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional, and it is not to be used to diagnose or treat a health issue. I appreciate it very much. Happy listening. Welcome again to the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter. I will be your host, Dr. Christopher Magrida, and I look forward to talking to you about the latest and greatest information there is about coronavirus. It has been a very interesting and difficult, challenging, learning year for everybody. And right now, the United States is on a great trajectory overall. While globally, things are turning a little bit more difficult. Uh, Far East, in India and other countries are struggling dramatically. But we're going to keep our attention turned to the United States. The latest numbers at the Google and CDC websites show that cases peaked in early January and have plateaued in many areas while rising in some. Death numbers continue to decline on a seven-day moving average for the past few months. And the good news is the United States continues to move forward with vaccination with 46% of the over 18-year-old population having been vaccinated with at least one dose making the vaccinated and or previously infected number heading towards a herd immunity location in the not-too-distant future. That is my hope, at least. There are 113 million Americans fully vaccinated, with uh, a number being much higher at 151 million having at least one dose. This reality of vaccination really helps us to understand that we are probably going to be moving towards normalcy of our general life in the near future as this vaccination event has shown to dramatically reduce the risk of death and hospitalization nationwide. North Carolina now sits at 75% of individuals vaccinated over the age of 65, which is the most highly vulnerable population. And the vaccines continue to be extremely effective for all the variants that we know of today. Unfortunately, as the United States has suffered tremendous loss over the year, we stand at 32.7 million cases of COVID-19 with 581,000 deceased. And this is a tough number to to read. This number is dramatically higher than I would have expected uh, last March. But as with everything in a pandemic, you never know which way things are going to turn. Predictions are almost impossible. And we end up sitting and discussing what we find. The good news is there's still no change in the knowledge that more than 80% of all the deaths are skewed towards the over 55 population, of which 94% occurred in individuals with comorbid chronic health diseases. We understand now clearly that more biological antibody medicines are on the horizon and hopefully a mixture of quality self-care and targeted supplements can help those individuals at risk have a better outcome and potential resolution if they do get infected. However, the latest data shows that if you do take a vaccine, technically both doses of the vaccine, your mathematical risk of death post-vaccination to COVID-19 is a survival rate of 99.9998%, or in other words, a risk of death of 0.0002%. Those are tremendous numbers for safety. 
Let's move on to the quick hits. Number one, COVID-19 is primarily a vascular disease and not a pulmonary disease, unifying previously disparate understandings of the disease's pathogenesis. In a fascinating study from Circulation Research, we see evidence that the SARS-2 spike protein directly affects the endothelial lining of blood vessels in the body, independent of live SARS viral RNA. When we look at the science, the SARS-2 virus uses the angiotensin-converting enzyme 2 receptor, otherwise known as ACE2R, to bind to the lung tissue. In the study, the authors showed that the binding of the spike protein to the ACE2 receptor triggered a decrease in the enzyme, angiotensin-converting enzyme 2, which in turn reduced the function of the mitochondria, otherwise known as our cell's powerhouse of energy, in the endothelial cells of the blood vessels. The loss of the mitochondrial function AKA our ATP energy production center leads to cellular damage and then dysfunction until enough tissue is damaged, leading to the symptoms that we see of in COVID-19 vascular disease. The research is profound and opens up a host of questions. If the spike protein alone can cause blood vessel dysfunction, independent of SARS-2 viral viability via the pathological pathways, can the vaccine, which induces spike protein production, do this on a micro scale? So far, this seems unlikely based on the post-vaccination surveillance to date. However, as always, it is, worth, is worthy of analysis and understanding. This in no way would change my desire personally to vaccinate as the vaccine risk is unlikely and theoretical while the disease risk is quite known. Full herd immunity is unlikely to come anytime soon, but we are in really good shape. The United States vaccine effort has been fantastic to date, but is unlikely to get us to herd immunity alone as the current threshold that we need to hit via vaccination is high compared to the volume of Americans willing to be vaccinated. Thus, we will likely continue to have small pods of disease in areas where people are not vaccinated and are exposed to the virus without personal protective equipment like masks and also quality hand washing. However, these pods of disease should be smaller and less frequent as there are less unvaccinated and not previously infected hosts available to get infected and then transmit the virus onward. No longer are we going to be in a situation where one super spreader will infect the majority of a room unless it is an unvaccinated group. This will then be our new norm pending either more vaccination or a viral variant that changes the current reality. We need to get back to normal life. The pandemic has highly likely turned the corner on massive risk or even major risk. To listen to a high-level podcast on the COVID-19 vaccines, safety, and other related topics, listen to Dr. Peter Atia's recent podcast with Dr. Paul Offit. They do an excellent job discussing the current state of vaccine usage, development, and herd immunity possibilities. There are controversial discussions later in the podcast regarding origins of the COVID-19 virus and also vaccinating children that will be hotly debated for some time. Quick hit number three. In a quote from Cohen et al. 2021, we see, ending the COVID-19 pandemic will acquire long-lived immunity to SARS-CoV-2. We evaluated 254 COVID-19 patients longitudinally from early infection and for eight months thereafter and found a predominant broad-based immune memory response. SARS-CoV-2 spike binding and neutralizing antibodies exhibited a biphasic decay with an extended half-life of 200 days suggesting the generation of longer-lived plasma cells. In addition, there was a sustained IgG memory B-cell response, which bodes well for a rapid antibody response upon virus re-exposure. 
Polyfunctional virus-specific CD4-positive and CD8-positive T-cells were also generated and maintained with an estimated half-life of 200 days. Interestingly, the CD4-positive T-cell response equally targeted several SARS-CoV-2 proteins, whereas the CD8-positive T-cell response preferentially targeted the nucleoprotein, highlighting the importance of including the nucleoprotein as a potential vaccine antigen. Taken together, these results suggest that broad and effective immunity may persist long-term in recovered COVID-19 patients. This quote comes from COVID et al. in MedRxiv this month. This data piles on top of many other studies in the last 12 months showing us that many individuals will have quality adaptive immunity post-COVID-19 illness. This study shows a greater than 200-day antibody response and counting. Knowing this data and others to date coupled to the active vaccination effort may allow me to retract my previous statement regarding herd immunity. That would be lovely. The possibility that active vaccination numbers coupled to previously infected individuals could get us to a place where only rare cases would occur would be a great and hopeful event. Either way, as I've stated in previous newsletters, we are definitely on track for much less disease risk from COVID-19 as a society. COVID quick hit number four. Vaccine breakthroughs are very rare and may be a window into new variants if and when they show up in a more problematic way. According to the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, out of 95 million vaccinated Americans, there were 112 deaths and 596 hospitalizations of the breakthrough type, despite all known variants of SARS-2. That is mathematically a 99.9998%. Hear that again, 99.9998% chance of survival once vaccinated. If that is not a plug to be vaccinated, I am not sure what is. 577,000 Americans that have succumbed to the disease are sad reminders of the SARS-2 virulence. Therefore, you can imagine that I am leaning heavily towards vaccination for those who would be willing to take it. All breakthroughs of the vaccine type should be checked for new variants to find out and stamp them as risky variants and alterations will potentially occur and they could be problematical if not caught early. COVID quick hit number five. Let us hope that we never try to close schools again for a prolonged period of time for the remainder of this century. The cost for children's physical and mental health was too high. In a study from JAMA Network, we see negative mental health data post-school closure across the board. Loneliness scores increased 28%, anger 20%, stress 13%, anxiety and depression 11%. These mental health challenge increases are placed on top of the already heavy burden of societal children's issues. These studies were shown from Kluger, at all and Raviv at all this year. This and many other reports from the pandemic are a full force indication that teachers and schools alike are paramount to a child's nurturing and their health, especially when the home environment is at risk. The value of constant exposure to quality adult-led education cannot be overstated. This pandemic has been a learning experience that historians and policymakers must use to make better plans for our future. COVID quick hit number six. As we get closer and closer to the time when children will receive the indication for COVID vaccination, we will see many differing opinions as to the do or not to do. Here's a cautionary article in the British Medical Journal noting that the data is being skewed to push a stronger long hauler narrative in children than might be occurring if the data is looked at more clearly based against a control group. But Paul et al. 
B-H-O-P-A-L at all in this year, 2021, published this article in the British Medical Journal. The truth is that currently we have limited to no accurate data on the long hauler phenomenon in children, although we know that it is happening in a small number of cases. These rare cases can be truly debilitating, making the question of vaccination for children worth discussing despite the adult risk reduction through vaccination. To me, it's very clear that in very rare cases, COVID-19 can be a significant problem for a child. Therefore, it will be very important for every parent to look at the data, pros and cons, before engaging or deciding on a vaccination event for their child. COVID quick hit number seven. A very thoughtful article on mass testing in schools is worth a read. I agree with the principles as laid out in the article by Haig et al. this year. To test randomly for asymptomatic spreaders in a low-risk environment where the teachers are vaccinated makes little sense. To test symptomatic individuals makes sense in order to promote quarantining unvaccinated adults and other exposures. To test asymptomatic people will likely find false positive cases further subjecting children to lost school time and more health consequences. I, like many physicians, are currently thoroughly on the side that children are not the main source of this disease pandemic and that they should not be subjugated to significantly lost school time anymore unless we have quality scientific reasoning as to why testing and or restrictive school policies make sense. COVID quick hit number eight. Here we go again. State COVID rules will be vastly different moving forward. Florida's governor has just rescinded all COVID restriction rules and will show a diametrically opposed view of life to California and New York, noted in an NPR article this week. Citing ample vaccine availability and no issues meeting the needs of those requesting vaccination, the state will return to pre-pandemic life by July 1st. We will keep a close eye on the outcomes of the disparate economic, social, governmental choices. However, states are the best incubators of policy and choice moving forward, so therefore it will be worthy of our time to watch and see how these events unfold. COVID quick hit number nine. From Chaston et al. this month, A quote, higher level of habitual physical activity is associated with a 31% risk reduction of community-acquired infectious disease and 37% risk reduction of infectious disease mortality. Physical activity interventions resulted in increased CD4 cell counts and salivary immunoglobulin IgA concentration and decreased neutrophil counts compared to controls. Antibody concentration after vaccination is higher with an adjunct physical activity program. To me, this study adds to many data sets giving us insight into activities' beneficial effects on immune activity and function. Walking a few miles a day is ideal, or better yet, develop a group of F3-style friends that will hold you accountable and push you to be a better physical version of yourself every day. Moderate daily exercise equals a longer life. This is undisputed unless you get hit by a bus while walking and texting. COVID quick hit number 10. In an opinion piece by Joseph Allen from the Harvard University School of Public Health, we see a nice discussion on masking and the return to normalcy by July 4th of this year. Once it is clear that every American at risk has had the opportunity to vaccinate and has had chosen one way or the other. In my opinion, we cannot hold the United States hostage to the pandemic any further now that the remarkably effective therapy is available through vaccination and offered to all. There are those like Dr. Paul Offit, as stated earlier with Dr. Peter Tia's podcast, who has stated by himself that all Americans should be mandated slash forced to receive a COVID-19 vaccine for the collective prevention of COVID disease in the society at large. 
I fall short of this mandate as I think that while the vaccine is safe, we still need more data over years of complete knowledge for risk assessment, making a mandate difficult to propose, especially when regards to children. I willingly took my doses knowing the risk and the reward. The scales, excuse me, the scales are heavily tipped toward my reward via vaccination. These will always be difficult conversations and decisions, yet I would rather have them than live in a world without discourse and compromise. That is a scary worldview in my mind. I teach my children and patients that thought and discourse are the route to success as medicine has taught me time and again over the years. Well, that's all folks. I hope you enjoyed this first edition of the audio version of the Salisbury Pediatric Newsletter. Hopefully I've given you some useful information to think about over the next few days. A happy shout out to all mothers out there on this wonderful Mother's Day. You are much appreciated and much loved. This is Dr. M signing off. Have a great day.